Everybody, welcome to Mobius Studios. We're doing another Conan the Barbarian podcast. I've got some very special guests with me here today. First, I'll start with the guests that are in the room, and I have right here to my right... Joseph Simon. And to my left... Wally Monk. And on a special phone line, I've got... Bob Freeman. Bob Freeman. All right. So, I guess we're going to start off by talking about the brand new Conan the Barbarian re... Relaunch, as we want to call it, and let's just get into it. Let's just talk about Conan the Barbarian issue number one. What are our, what are some of our thoughts here on Conan the Barbarian number one? Bob, do you want to start? Um, first, I had high hopes for the book. I'm a big fan of Jason Aaron's, uh, and I thought I thought that he had covered uh, Thor pretty well, Doctor Strange pretty well. So I thought he was a natural fit for Conan. Unfortunately, for me, it just missed the mark. I didn't think that uh, Aaron really captured the character um, as Howard wrote him. Um, I'm somewhat of a Robert E. Howard purist, so yeah, I, I found it, especially out of the gate, just a little disconcerting, but I still had hope um, that would you know, shortly thereafter be dashed against the rocks, but uh, we can get to that later, so. <laughs> Joseph, what did you think of Conan the Barbarian number one? Well, I I also agree that the writer is very good, and I've liked what he's done on Thor and Doctor Strange. I'm curious, Bob, um, do you think he captured Thor properly? At times, yes. So do, do you think he might have a problem with capturing characters? Um, or more so, he is his own writer and does his own thing? I think he does his own thing. Um, but I thought he was respectful to Thor and Doctor Strange. I was expecting the same thing with Conan. How, and I think in his mind he is being respectful. Um, he, I think he just interprets the character perhaps differently than some of the rest of us do. I would agree with that. Well, at least one person left here. What well, did you think, Wally? Well, uh, I'll tell you, I, I, I think it started at the top of the hill and we're watching the sled go uh, very rapidly uh, downhill. I thought the... I thought the first issue had some promise. I was really impressed with the uh, pastiches they had that uh, um, took a look at the classic Conan issues. And I thought we were going to see a little more respect for the character as uh, Howard intended it. Right. Um, I, I, I've had some major issues with, with some of the dialogue, uh, more so in Savage Sword than, than in the regular Conan series. But... Uh, uh, it, it seems like each issue, uh, with the exception of number two, number two was was very good. But um, the, this last issue, wow! I, I don't know what they're trying to do with Conan, and it worries me a little bit. But uh, I'm not as familiar with the contemporary comic writers as uh, Joseph and, and, and Bob are, so so the work of uh, of the, these writers is new to me. So, so what did you think was the theme of the fourth issue of Conan the Barbarian, as you said before? Conan number four was, uh, you know, Conan becomes Moon Knight. You know, uh, he, he dons a little mask and goes out into the the streets of Aquilonia at night to uh, to to fight crime. I thought it was uh, beyond ludicrous, but 
again, I, I'm looking at the, the classic material, the old stuff that, that people like myself really enjoyed, and this that, that's not the Conan that I know. I couldn't agree with that statement more. I thought the the mask itself reminded me of like him like like them attempting to make him like a Punisher type, right? Character, right? Yes. And I guess maybe that would would that tie into the new Avengers? Like, uh, is that where this is where they're trying to like maybe segue this into like the Avengers kind of thing? I mean, we haven't seen it yet, so we don't know. Oh, I hope not. On on our way here, we actually joked about that. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. That once he's on the Avengers, he's going to see other people in masks and be like, oh, <laughs> I'm going to pull this out. To me, um, when I saw Conan in his uh, skull mask, I thought it was representative of uh, the recent work Walt Simonson has been doing with the undead Thor. Are, you, are any of you familiar with that? I think, no. I think the book's called Ragnarok. No. I'm sorry, no. No. Oh, wow, okay. Uh, yeah, so Walt Simonson, most famous for, you know, his Marvel Thor run. Um, yeah, he's got, so Ragnarok has happened, and Thor is dead, and he's a skeleton, right? Uh, but in his full Thor regalia, and so that, it looks just like what that guy was drawing. Is, is uh, this a Marvel comic, or is this a... It is not, no. Okay, I, I am familiar with this a little bit. Sounds like something worth picking up at some point. You know, it's but- beautiful. It's, it's, yeah, it's, it, it's at Half Price Books. Oh my goodness! Is well, it really? Yeah, yeah. I, I've seen it at Half Price Books. Is it? A, it's a comic book. It's a. I, I saw the trade collection. Oh okay, okay. Bob, I'll have to get the details from you later uh, on where to pick that up and where I need to look. Thank you. Yeah, certainly. I I I, I learned about it from following Walt on Twitter. So uh, he po- posts a lot of art from it, yeah, and and on his Facebook page also. So excellent. Thank you for sharing that. So going back to the life and death of Conan part one, I'm not that familiar with the older comic books. Um, I read more Savage Sword than I did Conan the Barbarian. Um, So in the pit fighting sequence, Conan loses his sword in a drunken stupor. Is this normal behavior for the old Conan? Like, are they, are they adding a new layer to Conan or is this something that we've seen before? Is this like, is this regular Canon is what I'm, I guess I'm getting at. Like, is this a standard behavior from Conan? Conan as a pit fighter comes from the Arnold Schwarzenegger film. Okay. Um, him getting in a drunken stupor, that's that's a common trope, even with Howard. So uh, Okay. But losing his sword, what about that? I you know, it's uh, ironic. Uh, we're uh, Is it supposed to be funny? Well, no, I I, I in fact I, I'm working on on a review of an issue of Conan where uh, where that's the case, you know, in the course of the action, he grabs onto a giant monster, and in order to hold onto the monster, the sword goes by the wayside. Uh, I know there are other instances where he's misplaced his blade or, or whatever oh, okay. the case may be. So I, it's been seen before. It's not something new. Is the character Almighty Rez Zezel? I don't know how to say that, but right, yeah, that's not that's not something that's canon. That's something that Aaron's come up with on his own. I I really don't mind that part so much. Yeah, that's. Uh... It's a good framing device for, I think, what he had planned for his 12-issue uh, 12 arc. But, uh, yeah, I think it's getting away from him a little bit. But uh... It'll be interesting to see how he ties all these issues together because, uh, really, the first four have been all over the map. You know, we had the, the, the pits and the giant snakes in issue two. Uh, in, in the first issue, we had the tale of the 
the the the woman who was actually the the demon. Uh, in issue four, we had Conan the Vigilante. Um, so so I really have no idea how he's going to tie this all together. It'll be kind of interesting to see. Is this supposed to be like a limited series, or is this going to be like a continuing series? Because I mean, I know like right off the bat they say, you know, they talk about the death of Conan and this is how he lived. Like, well, it's from different points in his timeline. Okay. So I, I don't know if there's any limit to the series or even if there's a plan with the upcoming. I think it's just a 12-point story story arc, if I'm not mistaken. Um, I, I think right. this is an ongoing series, but you know somehow we're going to see this life and death of Conan storyline resolved by issue 12, or at least that's the hope I would imagine. Correct. And then another writer and artist will will come on board and tell another arc. So, okay. at least that's the plan. Well, well let's, let's hope we don't see any more of Conan in the uh, Punisher <clears throat> mask. <laughs> right. <laughs> now, the, uh, and, it, you know, switching it over to Savage Sword. Um, yeah. Now, their, their arcs are, are shorter. I think uh, this first arc is five issues. Is that, if, I'm, if I remember correctly? That's right, yes. So, uh, that, that's, that's good because we'll get more of a turnaround. You can stomach a lot more. Um, and then just speaking of that comic, I really did not care for the initial issue of it, but the the, the second issue I liked a lot. So um. now is the character that's in the second issue the 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 Kogathon the the sorcerer? Is that a new character or is that something that's appeared? Is, yeah, that's a new character. Okay. Yes. So. Um, but yeah, that was a, a an instance where I think the the author um, he he kind of uh, Conan was mischaracterized in that first issue. I didn't think that he acted in any way, shape, or form like any version of Conan I had read before. But the Conan that appears in the second issue seemed I you know I, I was pretty good with um, that. That seemed very Howard like. So uh, the dialogue's still a little rough, but uh, at least the story seems to be writing itself. So, Yeah, I, I would agree with you that that second issue of uh, Savage Sword was very good. Uh, I, I enjoyed that, too. Uh, the first issue had me terrified. And again, I'm, I, I'm not quite the Howard purist that, that many, many individuals are. Um, I've always been a fan of the classic Marvel comics. That's where my Conan history really comes into play. Um, but but little glaring errors. Um, I, I'm certainly not a perfect editor, and I know I've made my shared mistakes on on our blog. But but when you see Conan and, and you're thinking, wow, these pirates are right out of Pirates of the Caribbean. What's going on? You know, the, the first question is, you know, did did he even did this writer even read the source material? And if he did, where is the editor? So I, that was my first question. And uh, a lot of people have excused the one panel where the captain or one of the, the, the pirates is holding or has in his belt a black powder weapon. Right. Um, that to me just screams, I'm an editor and I didn't look at the artwork. Um, I, that, that bothered me a lot. I mean, I, the story was still okay, but little things like that, I think, are something that editorial has a responsibility to catch. Right, and, and we saw that, I think, in issue four. Um, I, I actually have been debating this online with several people, uh, where on the very first page, and I'm not even going to try to pronounce it, I, I, I don't remember how, the, how the, the, the former king of Aquilonia's name is pronounced, but 
I knew it looked wrong to me. Um, spelled N-A-M-E-D-I-D-E-S. Uh, Namedes, perhaps. But I remembered it differently. I went and pulled out The Coming of Conan, looked up the story, found, and it was spelled N-U-M-E-D-I-D-E-S. Uh, and so then I, as people were saying, well, Howard had actually used that spelling himself, but I'm checking all my other sources and it seems like they've all corrected that where Howard had made those, uh, errors and those, that error, if you want to call it an error, cause Howard wrote it, but he, th- these were on drafts that were never published. And, uh, you know, I'm a writer myself, and if you go through the different drafts of books that I've written, I misspell my own characters' names all the time. Um, so I think that's just him writing in a flurry, as he was wont to do, and him just not remembering how he had spelled it originally. Um, so is it a mistake? Ah, you know, I, I don't know. A good editor, I think, would have corrected it. Mm-hmm. And it just, especially on page one, and it just slid right by him, so. Right. I Cons- totally agree. Considering this issue has five different editors, it is surprising. Yeah, yeah. how does that work? <laughs> That's not good. Maybe each one of them had a different page and none of them talked. Right. <laughs> it, it'll be interesting to see where they go. Um, I, at this point, I think I... I, I I don't want to speak for anybody else, but I know that in my mind, the alarm bells are going off. You know, we're looking at this Avengers crossover. Um, we've got Conan wearing a Punisher mask running through the streets at night, you know, with his uh, uh, with his lion partner. Um, to, to me, it's just troublesome. And, and, you know, if that makes me old, I suppose it's because I am. But uh, something is just wrong with that picture. And we're already talking about his death on top of that. Man, oh. it, it's interesting that, you know, I spend most of my time uh, hanging out with a guy who is an old letterpress printer, and he's 89 years old. So I spend most of my days feeling quite young and, uh, and, and until I start delving into uh, comics, and then suddenly I, I feel as crotchety and, and old as that, uh, as that printer that I hang out with. So. <laughs> I, I can relate to that, Bob. I can relate to that. I often, I often think the same thing. I look at the the comic rack and I, I look at the material out there and I say, you know, uh, either I'm out of touch or I just have a different idea about, uh, you know, what the industry was or 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 should be like. Well, I mean, if you're of a certain age, like, yeah, I'm in my mid fifties. So when I started reading comics, they were, you know, fifteen cents. And I, I lived in a, a very small rural community here in Indiana, and I lived on a farm. And I would hop the train, uh, just jumping on the back of it and riding it into the nearest town, and I would pick up pop bottles on my way to the uh, little soda shop. And I would trade in those bottles and get like 10 comics. Nice. Um, and so, so I was cutting my teeth on like you know, you know Neil Adams and and John Buscema and and just all these great classic artists, and I, I and I'm just not seeing that today. You know what what I saw then, and I I don't think it's because I'm old. I think it's just the industry has diluted itself, 
and uh, you're not getting the quality of of creators that you once had <clears throat> because they're all being pulled into other media, and uh, you know the money's not where you know it used to be, and uh, yeah, more and more's the pity for it. And <clears throat> all this is because of the as soon as comic books moved out of the supermarkets and gas stations and into the the direct market and you know comic book stores exclusively well that was the that was kind of the death knell that was sounded for for the industry and why we're in the position we're in now absolutely i it's it's funny you mentioned that bob i was at the comic shop today picking up uh, conan number four and uh i made i made the remark to the cashier i said boy you know we've come a long way from still only 35 cents haven't we Jeez, yeah. Right. I can I can remember vividly when it went. I wasn't so upset when they went to a quarter, but when they went to thirty five cents, that was like that hurt. That stung. You know, I, uh, a quarter. You know, that's four bits, man. A, a buck could get you four books, and then all of a sudden, oh wait, you know, they're they're killing me here. Now you only get three. Right. Three ninety nine an issue. Yeah, that's. That's pretty high. That's a lot. Well, and it's funny because it, it, it's almost the same price as collecting the trades. You know, I, right. I, I've noticed that a lot of titles that I read that, uh, you know, are obviously not Conan yet, but it's so much easier just to wait instead of spending four or five bucks on a comic to wait until the trade shows up on sale and you get the same issues in a nice bookshelf format for 10 or 15 bucks. So, I mean, the, the industry certainly has its challenges, I think. I would agree. And another part of the problem is decompression which is you know it used to be that one comic that you bought you know had this full rich story in it and now you've got to get three or four issues to tell the same story they used to tell in one right um, and uh yeah it's a lot of talking heads anymore um well, and you even see that even in a conan book you're seeing a lot of talking heads well, oh, in in the classic Conan books, I it was amazing. You know, every single issue of Conan was a separate story. I, you could go from page one to twenty four, and in a twenty four issue book, Conan will have traveled halfway across, you know, across Stygia, and you know, defeated a dragon and grabbed a jewel and taken the jewel back to the king. And now, you know, you're lucky if Conan crosses the room and fights the villain before right, the end of the right. comic. So, I absolutely. Yeah, I did notice that, that there was a not, not a whole lot of story to the whole issue. Right. Or each issue that I read. Right. Now, when you get that trade that collects the whole thing, it might read better. But uh, being doled out, you know, every you know every month or every couple of weeks, uh, depending on their whim, um, yeah, it... Uh, it's rough. It's you know you're you're sitting there just kind of chomping, and it's like that with just a, almost every comic that I read that these days. It's it's the same thing. You're sitting there, you finish the book, and you just you, it feels empty. But I go pull one off the shelf, and you know, and I'm I can read it, and I'm satisfied. You know, right. one story and a savage sword, you know, a classic with Basima and Alcala artwork. Yeah, and you you finish that, and you're like you sit back, and you're like, yes, you know that was that was a ride, you know. That's Roy Thomas knew how to write a story. There's no, you know. Oh yeah, he had, he had a he had a command of the of the format. 
Well, and yeah. Savage Sword was amazing. I mean, that was a agreed. That was a phenomenal title. That uh, uh, you know, especially for the first hundred issues, that was uh, you know definitely a highlight. You got the more mature Conan. You got uh, you know quality storytelling, no restrictions from the comics code, and right. really the best possible artwork that you could get representing the Sumerian in his world. Yeah, it was so titillating. Yeah, it was. Uh... Yeah, as 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 a as a kid, a young kid, I mean, that just was everything. Um, yeah, it, it was just beautiful, just a beautiful piece of art. So, so show of hands, who around here was uh, hoping that Savage Sword, when Marvel announced it, would be a black and white, oversized magazine? I was hoping. My hand I is up. Absolutely, yes. <laughs> my hand is raised. Without question. Oh, that would have been glorious. But who who would you have gotten to uh, to to draw it? Who who out there today? You know that that there lies the rub. You know it's uh, who who could pull that off? Uh, Tom Grinsberg, yeah, he he would do beautiful work. But uh, you know, could they afford him? Would they even talk to him? I don't I don't know. Tim Truman could do it. His uh, his black and white work is pretty good. Yeah, I I love Truman. I you know he his. Uh, when uh, when they did uh, uh, dang it, I'm trying to remember uh, Wolves of the Border, King Conan, God, that comic was so gorgeous. Uh, Tomas was the guy working on that with him. Um, I think I remember that. Yeah, that's yeah, the one you sent me the link to, right, Bob? Right, okay. I will. Yeah, um, a lot of the early Dark Horse was was really brilliant. Um, you know, I was. I was thrilled when they got the license and, you know, it seemed like classic Marvel, you know, they, they had good artists, decent writing. And then as, you know, as happens, they began to fade at the end and, uh, and it was time for them to, for the license to go somewhere else. It's just, unfortunately, I don't think Marvel's doing it justice. No, I agree. Well, in addition to Tim Truman, I think P. Craig Russell, Michael Gilbert, and, and I'm sure there's others that would do a great job on a black and white magazine. I didn't think about P. Craig Russell. He'd be a good yeah. match. I mean, he's he's uh, he's of an age, but he's still got the chops, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't mind seeing Neil Adams take another stab at it. Um, that would be there's, good. There's a lot of classic artists that don't get as much work anymore that I would love to see them, uh, you know, kind of pull out of semi-retirement. Uh, sure. Do we want to talk about the past mistakes that Marvel made over the Conan uh, series, either Barbarian or Savage Sword? And do we see a worry that maybe some of these mistakes are going to be repeated again with this new series we've got right now? I, I think you're already seeing mistakes being made that uh, obviously with yeah the, that that, that are problematic. But you know that leads to and 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 you know just to throw it out there also, um, I, I think there's a divide like we'd mentioned between new readers looking at Conan and people like us who grew up with Conan. Right. Um, I, you know I, I I I don't know. What do you guys think? There is a definite divide between younger readers and older readers. But what that divide is, I'm not sure. The opinions are out there for sure. Right. But well, it hasn't been, been... They've been raised on this decompressed story 
telling. Uh, so it, it's not as jarring to them, I think, as it is for us, because they've been they've kind of been weaned on it, and they're more apt to just you know take what they're given. It seems like because they don't know any better, right? Uh, I you know it almost seems like there's a disdain for for what was. It's almost like you know okay, well you you thought Conan was good this way. But you know what? We're not your generation. We're the new generation, and you know we don't care what you're giving us. This is how we want to see it done, and I think that goes both ways. I think there there are guys like us. Hopefully, I'm not one of them. But you know, older readers who say, you know, oh, all this new comic stuff is garbage, um, and and I really don't think there's a meeting of the minds there. I think on one end, there's not a whole lot of respect for the history of the comics, and on the other end, you have a lot of you know, and I don't think any of us us here fall into this category, but I think you have people who say, well, this is the way comics were and this is the way they always should be. And I, I really think that all, all the way around in the industry that there could be more of a meeting of minds, you know, people saying, okay, let's respect the history, but let's give this a try, you know, instead of just the, you know, the, the judgment that's so prevalent, you know, now where people just jump to conclusions, well, I don't like this, so it's bad. Um I, I, I don't know. Uh, does that make sense to anybody? Or uh, it, it, it perfectly does. Um, you know, I, I've been reading comics for 45 years or more, um, and I, I read just as many today as I did, you know, when I started. I think I have a pretty good feel for the industry as a whole, uh, you know, from those early days to now. And I, I think a big difference is when, when, when I was young, I was reading comics, you know, from a decade before and it seemed, it was seamless. Um, and I, I've kind of talked about this, about how comics, a title is like a sandbox that you get to play in. And, and Wally and I were kind of talking about this earlier today. And, Back in the 70s and 80s, artists and writers knew how to play in the play box or in the sandbox and not break the toys. And I think at some point it, it, it became, an, I, I, they purposely went in and we're going to break this toy on purpose and, and, and just shake things up. And for, you know, 50, 60 years before that, everybody was able to play together and when you when you left a title you were leaving the toys in place for the next guy to get in there and play with and uh yeah you're just not seeing that now there's a general disrespect by creators i think in a lot of instances uh for the characters they come in wanting to tell their story and they don't want to tell they don't want to tell the best captain america story they can they want to tell this story, and they're just going to shoehorn Captain America into it. And maybe that, maybe that's where the problem is. Yeah, and, and Bob, I'm still, I'm still stealing that quote from you from my editorial. <laughs> you're, you're, it's all yours. <laughs> Thank you. Well, it, it goes back to editorial too, not your editorial, but um, it goes back to Marvel editorial for letting this all happen. Is it editorial mandate? Is it the writers deciding to do things like this? They're with, um, with Marvel, yeah. they have 
um, retreats where they plan out things far in advance, sometimes years in advance, as to what the Marvel Universe is going to do. So is it the writer or is it the company? I, I think it's a little of both. It will, right, because the company is choosing the writers, right? So they're, they're getting the people they want to work on the books that kind of fit into their editorial fiat. And I, I think you, you go back to when when Marvel started shaking things up and they started bringing in people from independent comics, right? Instead of looking in-house like they, they had in times past, they looked to the people in the, in the indie scene and brought them in to shake things up. And they come in with a different sensibility. And, uh, and I, I think that, that's what's been going on with Marvel since then. Well, now, uh, now, now people work for Marvel and DC to get a, a fan base, and they leave with that fan base and do their own thing. Yes, that's very true. But when, when they have these um, retreats where they plan out what's happening with Marvel for a year or so, there is a lot of editorial um, oversight during these retreats. So I, I have to imagine that it's more the company than the creator. I, Marvel's always had major problems with, with their editorial department. Um, I, I really, I, I, you hear the speculation that, that Marvel's entirely money-driven now that they're owned by Disney. Um, I, I, I don't know if that's accurate or if that's speculation, but my point is, uh, you know, editorial's been, there's a saying in, in, in the uh, writing industry, and I'm sure you've heard this too, Bob, is nothing is so well written that a good editor can't screw it up. <laughs> and, uh, um, you know, you, you go back to the 80s when Marvel had a very new Kazar series, a savage kind of like Conan. And uh, in, in an interview with uh, one, of, one of the creative uh, mem- team members, you know, this issue was doing tremendously well. And editorial made a decision to do a direct market test where they took the Kazar comic, Micronauts, and Moon Knight, and they yanked them out of the convenience stores and everywhere else and made them direct sales only. Well, yeah, it, yeah and it destroyed Kazar. Uh, from what I understand, the other two titles were affected differently. But, you know, we had the potential for a savage type, you know, comic in a dinosaur, you know, populated world to, to be a hit. But Marvel Editorial said, no, 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 it's got to be part of the mainstream Marvel Universe. We're going to, you know, uh, shut down this world that's been created. So Marvel's got a history of taking great properties, things that people really enjoy, and saying, well, no, we're not going to do that. And what the reasoning is behind it, I have no idea. But in that way, I can't really understand the reasoning here with Conan because they've got an established fan base. You know, you've got people who've been reading Howard since the 30s. And in this era of nostalgia, you've got people who are even in their 50s, 60s, 70s who would say, oh, hey, I remember Conan. I read that when I was 30. You know, he's got a new comic book. I'm going to pick it up. I, You know, it might be a stretch. but And they're completely alienating that audience in a lot of ways, you know, to go with, well, Conan should be this. And I, I think it's an editorial problem because, like Joseph said and like Bob said, you know, editorial does guide the writers. And I, if this is the fact with the Conan we're seeing, you know, the editors really need to take a hard look in the mirror and a hard look at their fan base. See, the, the, going back to editorial, we have the, the Howard books as like a Bible. So right. there, there should obviously be a Conan Bible for them to write for from. And um, editorial should definitely know what that is, as well as the writers. 
Right. Like, Conan is not generic fantasy, which is kind of what we're getting from them now. Um, you know, the, the, the sword and sorcery genre, which Howard created, um, has a different sensibility. And, and I, I just think these guys, I, I think in Jason Aaron's case, because, you know, he's the one I've read the most. I think in his case, he was a big fan of the books. And I, I think he, I think he just buckled under the pressure of it really. And I think he was, he was trying to do, he was trying to leave his mark instead of telling a good Conan tell. I think he was like, this is my chance to, to leave my stamp on, on the character. And, uh, you know, that, and that's not the way you approach it, you know, in my opinion. Totally agree. If you've had enough of the new Conan for a while <laughs> and are interested in reading some of the classic Marvel goodness, uh, my blog, Paint Monk's Library, will be relaunching the uh, countdown to Conan. Uh, we had to stop back in November due to some obligations that I had. I needed to get some editorial assistance because you know, my, my vocation is, is my priority, as we talked about. So um, I have an, a couple associate editors here that are helping out, a copy editor. Um, you'll be able to read both Bob, Andy, Troy, Joseph, and myself. Uh, jumping back into those reviews. So the countdown will relaunch the same day that, uh, you know, that people get the opportunity to hear this podcast. So we'll be picking up with issue 75 and uh, hopefully going all the way to issue 275. Wow. So. And the, uh, yeah, that, the, that Conan run that we're, we're viewing right now is the highlight, the benchmark for which all Conan comics have to, have to, be weighed against this Roy Thomas's run through here that his his adaptation of uh, of the Queen of the Black Coast um, it's just it's just a, a beautiful thing it's just a beautiful work of art and uh, it's going to be sad when Roy leaves the book because then that's when we start having the, the same kind of problems we're seeing now in modern Marvel you know and I maybe that's it maybe it was Roy it's, you know, when we look back and say, oh, well, this is when comics were good. This is when Conan comics were great. His name was always on it, either as an editor or as a writer. That's a and good point, the, Bob. That's a really good point. The book was less successful whenever anybody else was touching it. Mm-hmm. And so I think maybe we're all just Roy Thomas fans. Miss you, Roy. Hurry back. <laughs> Where is he? He's around. Yeah. Um I'm reading the uh, Barbarian Life right now, which is his recollection of his entire run with Marvel. Um, he's going issue by issue, and it's it's Ooh. great. It's a great insight. I recommend it highly. I hope to pick that up at some point, too. And uh, we'll also, j- just a, a heads up to everyone, too, in addition to the classic Conan countdown, uh, uh, Bob here will continue covering the new issues of Conan, and our blogger Troy Chrisman will be covering Savage Sword. Uh, it's not really in line with Marvel Conan, but Bob is also covering uh, the Red Sonia, the Roy Thomas okay. created uh, uh, Conan-esque character uh, from Dynamite. So you'll get to read not only Bob's countdown reviews, but those two. Joseph will be helping with a number of different projects as well as the countdown reviews. And uh, we're just going to keep moving forward, uh, hopefully with the support of the, the, the readers that have graciously been reading. 
we suffer so you don't have to. <laughs> That's right. If, if we rate it a five or below, you don't need to read it. Just go on to the next <laughs> review. Uh, did, did you see where uh, uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger was talking at a convention about uh, the reason that the King Conan movie's never been made? Why is that? Uh, well, I, I believe he said that uh, you know they get the property, they sit on it, they look for the right monetary deal. Um, and, and that's the reason it hasn't been done. You know, the right players, so to speak, haven't really come into play. Um, he hinted at Netflix and Hulu both having potentially turned down the opportunity. Oh. Excuse me, Netflix and Amazon potentially turning down the opportunity to do the Conan movie or a show. So uh, With him? Uh, just in general. Oh, just in general? And, and I know he, he's really clamoring to do King Conan. He's been talking about it a lot between that and the little, uh, little uh, internet thing that he did where he was reading yes. the issue of Conan. Um, so I, I think he's all for it. It's just a matter of, uh, you know, unfortunately, the money trail and where that leads. Yeah, he kind of threw Cabinet Entertainment under the bus um, on that. Um, yeah, a little bit. I caught that, too. But, uh, it, look, I, I'm not like most uh, Conan fans that you'll run into, especially of... of you know, people that are between 40 and 50 years of age. I didn't like the Conan the Barbarian movie with Arnold Schwarzenegger. I went to the theater on opening night, and when the when the credits, end credits rolled, I stood up and booed. Um, <laughs> oh, wow. That was, I mean, that was <clears throat> so far removed from anything Howard ever wrote. I mean, I was just appalled by it. Was it a great fantasy movie? It sure was. It's just for me to rewatch it, I have to pretend it's somebody else. You know, it's you know wow. that's not Conan on the screen. It's a great movie, but it's not it's not Conan. And uh, I I could see where you, you you could feel that way, Bob. I don't know you well, but from some of the correspondence we've shared, you know, I know you really like Howard's literary works. You have a lot of respect for for uh, the history that he's built. Um, with me having primarily a comic book background. Um, it, it was just great seeing a barbarian up there, seeing familiar characters. Um, you know the, the the fantastic soundtrack by Paul Adoris. Hmm. Um, j- just having a fantasy movie that, you know, really so many other fantasy movies really they try to stack up to that first Conan film. You know whether it's a Conan film or just a great fantasy barbarian film. Um, so so I'll have to disagree with you on that. For my part, I loved it, but I can see as a Howard purist where it would have been problematic to you. Yeah, yeah, and I I watched all those um, uh, those barbarian pictures in the uh, in the eighties. Oh, there were some bad all ones. Death stalkers. Oh, uh, death stalker. Yes. Oh, those are sword, terrible. The sword and the or yeah, the sword and the sorcerer. Ator the fighting liked. eagle. Sword and the sorcerer was a better <laughs> Conan movie than Conan was. I, you know, Sword and the Sorcerer, I could never get past that three-pronged sword with the, the rocket blades. I have a, I had a friend who edited all the uh, rocket blade scenes out of the movie. Oh, nice. And it was so much better, yeah. Uh, yeah, that, that sword was terrible. But as a script, as a, as a story, they, they I thought they were much more faithful to the How, Howard. The, you know, Talon was so much more like Conan than, than Conan was, but... Uh, yeah, so I'll have to yeah, watch that again it, now. Yeah, so yeah, there was a whole slew of those. Um, what about the the Red Sonia movie? 
Oh, please. Bridget Nielsen as Red Sonja? Yeah. Yeah, that, that was, was weird. Uh, that was weird. That was bad. <laughs> oh. Bad as being kind. That movie, I, you know, that yeah. should have gotten 100% on Rotten Tomatoes. That was just, oh. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> that was painful. Um, then there was the David Carradine movie. Did you catch that? Where, um, let's see, what was it called? The, the Warrior uh, and the Sorceress. That's it, yes. Man, they put out a lot of direct back then. Yes. Um, hey, did you get to enjoy any of these movies, Joseph or Keith? Yes. No. My dad used to take My dad was obsessed with these types of movies back in the 80s, so he took me to see Conan, and that was my first introduction to Conan the Barbarian. So for me, I love the movie because it's like that's my first like gateway into the world of Conan. Like right, right, eventually, right. I read the books, but it was like it was that mo- first movie that like got me so interested in who Conan was and what it was all about. So you know, that's an interest. If you don't mind, guys, I- I'd like to ask you, Keith, and I know this is your show, but if you don't, no, mind, that's fine. You know, you you've uh, you know, you said that your mo- the movie was your first exposure to yeah. Conan. So you know, just like Bob has said, you know, he grew up with the books, and therefore the movie was not, you know, true to the books. With you having started with the movie first and then gone back and looked at the books and the comics, how did that color how you looked at everything? How did that, you know, how did Conan appear in those books and comics to the one that you love so much in the movie? Well, there is a stark difference. And I think that, like, with most things that you read, it adds, like, extra layers. Because a movie can't really give you everything that, like, a, a novelization can. Right. And, I, and I, after reading, like, a lot of the Conan books, I just reread some of them uh, for the last podcast. Mm-hmm. Um I don't know that you can really give that kind of Conan on screen. I don't know if that's all that way possible. Like with as much magical things that are happening on in the books and everything like that. I don't know that it like in 82 if that was even possible to make the books into a movie. I'm not I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't know right, how I don't know how me, interesting it would have been. The disconnect there was that Conan was he was intelligent. Right. He was he was taller than everybody else, but he was like as spry as a panther, you know. And and Arnold is a lot of things, but smart and spry were not among <laughs> them. That's why I really like Jason Momoa's portrayal of Conan. It was a terrible movie, but I thought Momoa was, was perfectly cast and was he was he was Conan on screen. He just didn't have a script to help him out. Uh, yeah, after I saw Momoa as Khal Drogo in Game of Thrones, I knew that he'd be a good, you know, I, I, I knew before, I actually saw the Conan movie later, you know, years after it came out, and yeah. I'd seen him as Khal Drogo before, and when they somebody said, oh yeah, Jason Momoa's in Conan, I said, oh, I gotta see that now, and I didn't like it either, but he, yeah, you're right, he was a good Conan. What do you think, Joe? Joseph? I, I, I liked both movies, as I mentioned in the last podcast. My comments were on the other movies that you guys were talking about, and the operative word is enjoy those. <laughs> it's hard to enjoy movies like Ator the Fighting Eagle. Those were just rough. They were Beastmaster. That was another good one. I, I like the ferrets in the pouch, though, those little ferrets that he yeah. had that he took everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> Boy, what we're about, really... uh, have you guys seen Fire and Ice? Yes. Oh, yeah. A long time and ago. That, that was that, a good one. Yeah, that's that's a, a lot that's, of these are on Blu-ray. A lot of these are available on Blu-ray. I think Shout Factory put out some of these movies. Well, I think you know, arguably Frazetta is the person who put Conan on the map, right? Um, 
if 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 he hadn't covered those uh, original paperbacks, I don't think we'd be talking about him today. Um, I mean, that's what that's what attracted Roy Thomas to the character, you know, and and he, you know, it, it was those covers. So, yeah, we we would not be having this discussion if it weren't for Frank. Yeah, Frank Frank was instrumental, but it's it's interesting, you know, there were so many things that lined up, you know, to make Conan the Barbarian the success that it is. You know, you look at the the Frank Frazetta covers on the Lynn Carter books or the uh, Elspring de Camp books or whatever the case may be. And then right. you look at the history at Marvel where, you know, Stan Lee, if I'm not mistaken, wanted to license Thongor. You know, they were going to go after Lynn Carter's Thongor, which is, right. uh, I think he's the king of Lemuria or something. I, I don't know. He's a Conan knockoff, effectively, or a call knockoff. Well, yep. uh, they wanted too much. Lynn Carter's agent wanted too much. So they went and they offered 50 bucks more to the Howard folks. And I think, was it Glenn Lord at that time? I'm not sure. It, but the Howard- it was. Okay. Yeah, it was Glenn. Okay, but yeah, they offered, I think it was 200 or 250 bucks, and they wound up with Conan. And really, from the success of the Marvel comic, you started seeing, you know, Atlas came out with Wolf the Barbarian. You saw eventually Thongor come into Creatures on the Loose. So, you know, Frazetta Art, you know, Elsprig de Camp, you know, whether you love him or hate him, you know, bringing, bringing some of these works back to light. You know, Marvel getting Conan instead of Thongor. You know, it's like all the stars aligned perfectly for Conan to become a success. Yeah, I, I, I couldn't agree more. Well, what's interesting is what is success today? What was success back then were sales, but today it's a multimedia world. So you're looking at success being movies, um, animation, and other things. And I think that's one of the things when we were discussing... Um, what what's kind of wrong with comics today is there's a different standard for um, success. Back when Roy Thomas was on the title, um, it was a, you know, and Stan Lee was running the show. It was not a profit-driven company as it is now, answering to a corporation and trying to meet specific standards. Disney standards, right? Correct. So who's 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 um who's behind the scenes here? Who's controlling this story arc here? Who's who do you think has a big hand in this? Do you think Disney is like saying anything? Because like, I mean, we're we're going to do Conan and the Avengers. Do you think we're going to eventually see Conan appear in one of these Avengers movies? Oh, no, I can. couldn't hope not. No, the, the right, you know, the, they would have to get the movie rights, you know, which are controlled elsewhere. Um, so yeah, what you're going to run into. <clears throat> is the same thing because eventually the the Conan license will go somewhere else. I'm I'm pretty sure of that. And when that happens, that event, unless, unless they sign some kind of deal when that Avengers, uh, uh, coming home, uh, arc won't be able to be published because of Conan's appearance in it. Yep. Or the, it, it, or, the, or they won't put in whatever issues he's in. They'll remove his parts because uh, that's you. You you get that with other licensed uh, properties where they can't publish things. Um, I'm trying to remember now. Well, it was the Micronauts and Rom for Marvel. 
Yeah, yeah, like yeah, right. So you can't, Star you Wars can't use, and Star yeah, Wars. You can't do any of that stuff. So shameless plug for Paint Monk's library here on our blog. Uh, uh, Joseph actually, uh, you know, the thing that Bob is referencing here, um, uh, Joseph wrote a pretty lengthy commentary on, you know, Marvel not having learned its lesson with licensed characters. And just like Bob is explaining here, you know, you're running into problems. You know, if, if they lose that Robert E. Howard license, you suddenly have an entire crossover arc of comic books that are never going to be collected in a trade, that are never going to be republished unless they can negotiate something. Now, now people have been contesting that online because they're saying that Conan's going to fall in public domain um, at some point in 2031 or 2030 I think. something along those lines but there, there is a ways away it is a ways away um, and there is also a trademark that they have to deal with and um, there are also ways for people to and Disney knows this avoid um, copyright laws and retain things well, yeah, like there's a there's an excellent run of Conan comics uh, in France, right? Right now, because in France, it's in the public all domain. All of Robert E. Howard yep. is public domain. Yeah. So they can publish that stuff in Europe that they can't publish here, and so when Cabinet, when the, when they have the rights to Conan, they only have the rights to Conan here in America. And sadly, what the French are doing, not that I read French, but um, it appears to be a lot better than what we're getting here from Marvel. I was just going to say that, you know, they're they're doing editions, uh, you know, they're they're doing re-releases of Queen of, Queen of the Black Coast. Um, one of their first releases was a remake of Tower of the Elephant, you know, yeah. and, and we're getting this, uh, this material, and, I, and I'll just say this material that we're getting from Marvel. Yeah, it's true. And I've I've actually read a couple of the French uh, comics, uh, the translations. Mm-hmm. You can read them online. Um, oh, really? And they're they're quite good. I yeah, was just gonna I was just, I was just gonna ask that if they if anyone's translated these. Okay. Yeah. So there, yeah, there's a couple of issues. Um, there's a website that publishes new comics online. You can't download them, but you can read them on the screen and. Uh, so yeah, so I, I I did. I don't know how legal that is, but I guess they're a they're a foreign market. But but they're it's easy enough to find on the internet. Yeah. Uh, I would much rather the money flow to the creators. But there you go. Yeah. In this age of the internet, it's amazing. Google has become a verb. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, what what are your thoughts with Conan and him joining the Marvel U? Universe, the mainstream Marvel universe. Jesus, I, I, I'm appalled by it. There's no, there's no place in it. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm usually there are certain characters that I don't think should ever play. You know, with the the mainstream comics. Uh, another of my favorite comics is uh, Hellblazer. You know, John Constantine, right? That's mm-hmm. a character that should never play with Batman and Superman and the. It's same thing with Conan. He he he's got no. I mean, are are there certain Marvel characters that he can play nice with? Sure, but uh, yeah, I don't need to see him. You know, palling around with you know Iron Man. <laughs> that's 
you know, it just that just doesn't work for me. I'll explain it like this. Growing up reading Conan, Howard created a world that seemed like it was real to me. Conan seemed like he was a real historical figure to me. And so when you take him out of that context, when you shoo in these obviously fictional characters that I love, but yet, you know, it's like, sticking George Washington in a story, you know, or, or something like that. It just doesn't feel right. Well, um, it skews the dynamic of the character and, and their history and the possibilities of their future. Right. I think any time you take a character and you put them in an environment that's, uh, that's unusual or, or not where, you know, the continuity of that character has been built, you know, I, I think you run the risk of, of diluting how important that character is or the difference that that character can make. Does that make any sense? I think so. Yeah. I, you know, you take uh, Conan, I really, if you take him out of the Hyborian age, I mean, he's just a strong guy. Yeah. You know, Conan could be the strongest, most powerful man in his time in Aquilonia, wherever he is at the moment. But you put Conan in modern society, you know, what is, what is Conan to Thor? I I mean, let's be realistic here. Thor, you know, Thor's a God, you know, Conan is a, super tough barbarian. So all of a sudden Conan's not so special. Right. So he's like Thundar, the barbarian. Oh, it's Thundar had a star sword. Come on now. I know that was <laughs> all right. You guys want to wrap this up then you guys got any last, last uh, things to say here? Certainly check out the countdown to Conan at paint monks library starting again today. Nice. And uh, we look forward to seeing all you there. We will have some giveaways um, that uh, we'd like to announce here, if that's okay. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Whatever you want to plug. We haven't figured out the dynamic of it yet, but uh, I've got uh, five issues of the giant size Conan from the 70s. Uh, I think Conan number three to number seven. Uh, those are going to be prizes that I'm giving out for you know people getting involved, interacting with our blog, interacting nice. on Facebook. Um, whether it's going to be every month or every couple weeks, for the first few months of, of the blog coming back with the countdown, we will be giving those to people who engage with the pages. So details forthcoming, but there's a great chance to, you know, just for being online and, and, and chit-chatting, to get some great vintage Conan. That's cool. Yeah, and, uh, you know, I wanted to mention here, uh, Bob, too, if you'd like to talk a little bit about what you do uh you know, you know, we're we're blessed to have you and the rest of the crew on board the blog. And I had mentioned that you were an author to Keith. Uh, yes, um, I've got uh, what uh, three published novels out there. Uh, they're in the um, occult detective genre. Uh, so if you enjoy uh, supernatural fiction, um, you can find my books on Amazon. Just do a search for. Bob Freeman. Um, you can go to my author's page, and you'll find my works there. Okay. Now, you you actually work within the occult industry yourself, right? The comic book industry? No, you're yeah, the occult. Or oh yeah, yeah well yeah, I do. Um, yeah, I'm a a bit of a an occult detective myself. Uh, I run. Uh, uh, I, I do ghost tours, uh, um, take people out to haunted locations. Um, cool. I've uh, I give lectures on the paranormal, 
uh, that kind of stuff. So I've been doing that for since the mid eighties. So very nice. Cool. So do do any um factual things occur in your novels from your experiences? Um yeah, I, I, I use my own experiences and I kind of put a little a little bit of a Doctor Strange edge on them, you know, so I kind of amp them up a little bit for a dramatic effect. But yeah, a lot of the stories in there, all the all the places are real in my stories. So like you could read them like a like a like a map and uh, tour around Indiana and go to these actual locations. So um, yeah, I just dress them up a little bit. I mean, I, I grew up on Marvel Comics, you know, so uh, I know I know how to I know how to do uh, the Stan Lee uh, trick, you know, just to, to make things larger than life. But cool. And uh, what are the titles of your books? Uh, let's see. Uh, the first uh, novel was Shadows Over Somerset. Uh, it's about uh, vampires and werewolves and witches and such. And then there was a follow-up novel to that called Keepers of the Dead. And then I have another occult detective series um, with a novel called Descendant. And there's a short story collection that goes along with that as well um, called Firstborn. Very nice. Very nice. Once again, thank you, uh, Joseph and Bob. Thank you both for all you do for Paint Monk's Library. And uh, Keith, thank you so much for having the the Paint Monk Blogger Crew on your uh, Conan <laughs> podcast. We appreciate that. Yeah, this is really cool. I'm really glad you guys uh, came along this time. Yeah. Oh, it was a lot of fun. Yeah, thank you, everybody. Take care, Bob. Thank you so much. Yes, thank you, Bob. All right, we'll talk soon. All right, we will talk soon, sir. All right, everybody. All right. Check out weirdedwonder.com. Check out Paint Monk's Library <laughs> at... Uh, uh, well, just Google Paint Monk's Library, and it's the first th- first thing that pops up. I'll put it on the screen, too. So, all right, everybody, we'll see you next time. All right, thank all you. Right. Thank you. Good night.